right. If you children are dismissed to junior church, and adults, you're not dismissed, you get to stay here and listen to me. So if you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, this is the first time in a long time I've used paper up here. Typically use an iPad, so if you see papers go everywhere, it's okay. I'll just be up here freaking out. But 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. We're going to spend the most of our time. I've got plenty of other verses, but that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. And those of you that are parents, those of you that maybe grandparents or you've been a teacher, have you ever heard the saying that goes, when the, the cat's away, the mice will play. And, you know, I've often heard that as well, that when senior pastors are away, the assistant pastors will play, they'll get in trouble, do stuff, dumb stuff. I almost did something dumb this morning, but the Lord redirected my sermon about two weeks ago. Um, I was going to preach on peer pressure from Psalm chapter 1, because we think of peer pressure and we think of, oh, teenagers. They're the ones that have peer pressure. But we don't think about the fact of the peer pressures that we have on us every day. But as I was preparing for Wednesday night, our new series that we're going to do with the teens, and speaking of David, the Lord showed me this message, and I was excited to give it to the teens, not because I was like, oh, the teens need this, although, to be fair, they do, because I remember being a teenager and seeking the will of God, and, and in all these crazy ways, well, Lord, please just show me your will. If, if I'm supposed to do, it, do this, let me make this basket. Let me shoot this basket and make this basket. Is that a good way to test the will of God? That takes, that puts a lot of pressure on me because I'm not Michael Jordan. And you can give a very false answer if it's not. But for whatever reason, the Lord changed my direction and, and he had me preach this message today. So apparently in this room somewhere, whether it's me, you, all of us, this is what the Lord has for us today. Going back to when the, the cat is away, the mice will play. Judges 21, verse 25, and Pastor Danny referenced this last week in his sermon. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see, during this time, Israel was not one nation per se. They were a group of different tribes. And this is what Samuel walks or inherits from um, as being the last judge, he inherits the nation of Israel at this time, where it's all different factions, different tribes that were supposed to be sovereign, that were supposed to follow God. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, all they were doing was what was right in their eyes. The moment the judges would fall off, they'd get back in that cycle of sin, rebellion against God, turning away from him, and then coming back to him. And over and over this happened. And you see, Samuel was the last judge given to us in the scripture. But he was also an early prophet in the nation of Israel. And you see, today our, our topic that we're going to be talking about is trading gold for gravel. You see, in our lives, just like the Israelites that we're going to see, they chose gravel. They chose a king, a man, over having God as their king and their ruler. And we look at that and we say, why would the Israelites do this? Why would they do such a thing? Well, the fact of the matter is, when the judges weren't there, 
People just said, oh, well, I can do whatever I want. There's no one to judge our sin. There's no one to call us out. There's no prophet, so I'll just do what I want. And Samuel, he had a very important role in Israel, being that he was a judge and a prophet. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you look back just one uh, chapter in verses 15 through 17, we get an idea of what was Samuel doing during this time. Because he was judging, but obviously there were still issues going on. And so verses 15 through 17 of 1 Samuel 7 record for us, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. You see, Samuel had a big job judging the whole nation of Israel. And if I were to pull up a map, you would see that Samuel, the way that where he would kind of uh, minister his circuit that he was going around, he was about in Birmingham, if, if Israel were Alabama. About Birmingham, traveling around the, the center of the state. And we'll see in a few moments some other judges um, that we could argue were not real judges were more in Mobile. And so we'll see that just kind of an illustration to kind of help you there, that Samuel was kind of moving around the center of Israel where those places were, Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And this is the state of the nation of Israel as we get into this. So now let's come back to ourselves. Think about for a moment, have you ever found yourself somewhere in life, whether it's at a job, in a relationship, maybe in a a school or some other thing that you're trying to progress through, and wondered why God led you there? If we're honest, oftentimes we don't see, we can't understand why God would take us certain places because he is, his ways are not like ours. What about this? Have you ever found yourself in a situation and looked back and realized that your choices led to that point? If we're honest, a lot of the problems we face in our lives, yes, sometimes God allows problems to come in, things to happen, doesn't cause them but allows them, that he uses then to make us more like him. But a lot of times, our choices are what lead to trading gold, trading God and his best for gravel, for worthlessness, for temporal things. You see, going to get a little into the weeds here, and then we're going to get into a story before uh, we get into our passage. But, you know, there's Calvinists that teach of determinism. And determinism is, well... God determined everything. He's caused all things, including human acts. So in their their mind, well, God caused these things to happen. If if someone goes into a, a school and shoots up the school, God caused them to happen. This is from their own words, determinism. But we believe that the Bible clearly teaches about free will. And because of free will, we have to make a choice. Our choices can affect where we go, and the nation of Israel was about to make a choice that was going to lead them into hurt, misery, loss of physical blessings, all because they didn't understand that God's will sometimes can work in two ways. One, we have his perfect will. The the plan of the cross, God's perfect will. He didn't allow anything to change that. We see times where Jesus walks through crowds because it wasn't his time to go to the cross. 
his perfect will, what God has for your life, his divine plan for your life. But there's also what we see is God's permissive will. And we might not like the word permissive because, oh, God is not permissive. God is not just sitting up there letting things happen, per se. And and sometimes we can get a little iffy on that. But God allows things that he would not wish to happen. An example of this idea of the perfect will versus the permissive will, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. You see, it's God's perfect will that all people would accept him. That's his perfect plan, what he desires most. Yet there are people dying every day and going to hell. Why? Because they decided not to choose God. Not because God forced them to, choose, to reject him or anything like that. And what we see here and what we often do in our own lives is we pass up God's perfect will, the gold, the gold he has for our lives, the blessings, the, the best pla- uh, plan of action, and we chase this permissive will. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't really say it's a sin, so I guess I'm okay. I, I can keep doing this. I can go this way. You know, I might not have sought the Lord as much as I ought to, but, you know, the door's open. I didn't ask God if I could go through this door, but it's open, so it must be of him. And so often in our lives, we find ourselves in places we ought not be because of our choices. You see, when I was in college, I, um, how many have ever taken a speech class? A good amount of us have taken speech class. I went to public high school, so I had to take a speech class there. Then, before I went to Pensacola Christian, I took a speech class at a community college, which the discretion was not there. One of the, the only speech I ever remember giving at that community college was why welfare should not be a thing at all. As, and it was a night class with a lot of single mothers. So, you know, discretion might not have been there at all. But I've taken many speech classes. And then at PCC, I had to take three or four years worth of speech classes. At no public institution did I ever have to do this, but when I got to Pensacola Christian, in speech 101, and I think it's changed since, you have to give a monologue. And a monologue is where you are acting as multiple different people. Now, I can assure you it was probably very painful the first time I gave a monologue at PCC, because you could ask about Erica about some of my early sermons and the painfulness that those were to listen to. Not that the words were wrong, but the delivery. And so, as I was thinking about speech, and, you know, it's something we all hate to do, get up in the class and, and have to give this speech, um, I had this one come to mind. And I remembered this, and it goes well with what we're talking about today. And this is supposedly a true story. I don't know if it's true. I'm not going to claim it's true, but it is a story that is a parable. There once lived not far from the river Indus an ancient Persian by the name of Ali Hafed. He said that Ali Hafed owned a very large farm, that he had orchards, grain fields, and gardens, that he had money at interest and was a wealthy and contented man. One day there visited that old Persian farmer one of those ancient Buddhist priests, one of the wise men of the East. 
He sat down by the fire and told the old farmer all about diamonds. The old priest told Ali Hafed that if he had one diamond the size of his thumb, he could purchase the county. And if he had a mine of diamonds, he could place his children upon thrones through the influence of their great wealth. Ali Hafed heard all about diamonds, how much they were worth, and went to his bed that night a poor man. He had not lost anything, but he was poor because he was discontented, and discontented because he feared he was poor. He said, I want a mine of diamonds. And he lay awake all night. Early in the morning, he sought out the priest. I know by experience that a, that a priest is very cross when awakened early in the morning, or a youth pastor. And when he shook that old priest out of his dreams, Ali Hafed said to him, will you tell me where I find the diamonds? Diamonds? What do you want with diamonds? Why, I wish to be immensely rich. Well, then go along and find them. That is all you must do. Go and find them, and then you have them. Very simple answer. But I don't know where to go. Well, if you will find a river that runs through the white sands between high mountains, in those white sands you will always find diamonds. I don't believe there is such, any such river. Oh, yes, there are plenty of them. All you must do is go and find them, and then you have them. So Ali Afed said, I will go. So he sold his farm, collected his money, left his family in the charge of a neighbor, and away he went in search of diamonds. He began his search very properly, to my mind, at the mountains of the moon. Afterward, he came around into Palestine, then wandered on into Europe. And at last, when his money was all spent and he was in rags, wretchedness, and poverty, he stood on the shore of that bay at Barcelona in Spain. When a great tidal wave came rolling in between the pillars of Hercules and the poor, afflicted, suffering, dying man could not resist the awful temptation to cast himself into the incoming tide, and he sank beneath its foaming crest. You see, Ali Hafed was a man who, he had much and likewise, the Israelites had much. We have much that we can be thankful for and, and grateful to God for. And yet, something crept in that caused him to go from this wealthy, contented person, this blessed person in the world's mind, to this man that was afraid and wanted to sell everything and just be, have more. You see, he traded gold for gravel, and it, he took his life because of it. We'll come back to Ali Afed in a moment, but let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. You see, trading gold for gravel usually begins with a real problem. There's something there, some issue, that causes us to decide to take the gold that we have from God, the blessings, the, the promises, all those things, and trade that in for the gravel, what the world promises what we find in the world. And that's not what God would have us to do, but it starts with a real problem. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiai. They were judges in Beersheba. So here are these sons that he made judges. You know, nowhere in Scripture do I see that the office of judge was passed down. Gideon, when they said, Gideon, will you stay and judge over us and your sons after you and them after grandchildren and, and continue down? 
He said no, because the judge, they would, God would bring them for the moment when they were needed, and then they would pass off the scene. But Samuel made his sons these judges, whether that was of God or not. I mean, he was a prophet. He was a judge himself. However, it would seem that that wasn't the wisest thing because verse 3 says, And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. You see, Samuel, he was ministering up in like the central Alabama area, the Birmingham of, of Israel. But down in the Mobile, in Beersheba, his sons were judging the nation of Israel by themselves without him. I mean, his circuit did not even go that far down if you were to look at a map. And the problem was, Samuel was old, so he probably wasn't as able to do his circuit anymore that he would normally make. And his sons were not good people. You see, oftentimes these, these points in our lives where we have to decide between the perfect will of God and what God will allow us to do because of our free will starts with a problem. Maybe it starts with, at work, bad management or low pay or, or toxic coworkers in a workplace. You know, maybe in a relationship it's abuse or infidelity or b- broken trust. Things that are real problems that we then have to decide which path are we going to take. Are we going to continue with the gold we've been given, letting God and his perfect way be in charge of our lives or try and seek out worldly solutions? This desire, it wasn't necessarily a bad desire for change. They saw that there was a problem. Samuel, you're getting older. You're going to pass off out of here soon. And we don't want to be stuck with your kids. We don't want to be stuck with your sons. You see, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, we read about another man whose sons were not like their father. 1 Samuel 2, 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They actually went, and as priests, they would take extra from the offerings than they were supposed to. By force, it says in the Bible. You see, One thing, and this is not necessarily in my notes, but one thing we have to be careful of, especially parents, is that when real problems come in our lives and we we have to take responsibility or we have to um, make a choice, we have to understand the impact that that has not only on ourselves, as husbands on ourselves and our spouse, as a husband and wife, those decisions that they make and affect our children, And one of the greatest gifts of God are children, yet they're also a responsibility. And Samuel, whether it was his failure or just the easy pickings that were there that his son saw, they were not good people. They were not godly people. And oftentimes in our lives, if you're a parent, you're priority is obviously to follow God, but oftentimes the way God will lead you will in some, might or will in some way be for him setting you up your children or for keeping your children out of things. Yet as parents, we we focus on the problems and we forget sometimes those other things that are children and, and even taking them into consideration when we make choices and decisions. So what were Samuel's sons guilty of? 
according to this passage, they were guilty of turning aside after lucre. They would take opportunities for unlawful gain. And apparently some things never change because today we would call this insider trading. Oh, I'm a judge. I know this guy owns a very big business. If I give him a guilty verdict, his business is going to plummet. I can buy it and then make a killing on that. And we see that today, government officials doing the same thing, turning after lucre or really that's unlawful gain or profit that's gotten from um, unlawfully or wrongfully. They were turning aside after lucre. They were looking for opportunities to make gain that was unlawful, that wasn't right. And they're the ones that are supposed to be upholding the law. They took bribes. According to Exodus chapter 23, verse 8, those that were appointed to judge over, thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. And we see that. You see, that was all the way back in Exodus, but yet here in verse 3, we see that these bribes caused them to pervert judgment. You see, there was a real problem. And in your life, you may be faced with a real problem, whether it's at work, at home, or anywhere else that would cause you to say, okay, is this the path the Lord has? Is this the perfect will of God for my life? And it's okay when those problems come to try and seek an answer. But one thing I've learned in the past few years is when we face a real problem in life, we need to be careful not to react, but to respond. Why? Because reacting, that's quick. That's right then and there. But responding, you take a little bit of time. You see, okay, this is what's really going on. You, you maybe seek some godly counsel. You respond. You don't just react to it. And that can be challenging, but the problems are going to come regardless of if we react or respond. But how we respond to those can have the big difference in are we going to stay with the gold, the perfect will of God, or are we going to chase that gravel? You see, there we go. iPads make it easy. You can just scroll. But there was a real problem. There was an issue that caused the, the elders of Israel to say, hey, we need a change. But the problem is that problem led them to a worldly solution. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then all the, all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and Ramah. So, I mean, they're, they're doing what is right. They're gathering together. They're going to talk to Samuel. But verse 5, we see the worldly response that they give. And said unto them, Behold, thou art old. It's a great way to start telling somebody maybe it's time to retire. You're old. We want you gone. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. It's that final part of it that's the issue. Like all the nations. You see, the nation of Israel was not supposed to be like all the other nations. Their strength was supposed to come from being unlike the other nations. 
You see, they were concerned about national security and protection from the enemies around them, the Philistines, the Amorites, that they forgot that God was the one that was protecting them. And back to the question I asked earlier about, have you ever gotten somewhere in your life and looked back and realized, this is my fault. I'm here because of myself, not because of God, not because of um, some other person, because of me. Well, the Israelites weren't so introspective. But if you think of the nation of Israel, when Joshua brought them into the promised land, God told them to wipe out everyone and everything. God wanted the land of Canaan to be specifically and only for the Israelites. But when they didn't have a king, they didn't have someone breathing down their necks to go to this war, go to take these people out, what did they start doing? They started taking tribute from from these people here. They stopped seeking the Lord and they started making alliances with people in the nation. And God told them back in Joshua and Judges that because they did not get rid of those people, they would have to face wars later in life. And that's what they've been facing all through Judges, is war after war after war because they did not obey God. You see, maybe you're where you are today because when you were a teenager, decisions you made. But the fact of the matter is, the Israelites, they forgot about this. They forgot it was their father's fault, their grandfather's fault, their great-grandfather's fault. And we look at the Israelites and we say, how could they do such a thing? How could they blame God and blame everyone else except for themselves? But think of every instance where God has worked with man. The Garden of Eden, God walked with them in the garden. What did Adam Adam and Eve do? They rejected him. They chose what they thought was better than God. What about when God was Israel's king? I mean, we're seeing that right now. God didn't fail them. They rejected him as their king because they wanted to be like the other nations. Right now, the nation of Israel is on hold in God's eyes. He's going to come back to them. But right now, they're on ice. They're waiting for what's to come. But in that time, Jesus will come and set himself up during the millennial reign. And yet, even with Jesus in Israel on the throne, people will turn and reject God. It's not an issue of it's their fault. It's, it's someone else's fault. No, it's an issue in our hearts, in the hearts of man, that we reject God. You see, these elders, they had a good, good reason, but they took that reason and tried to use a bad um, solution for that. What are some bad solutions that we can find for our problems? You know, I talked about family or job. Well, some, a lot of people, Christians included, their, their choice is to leave. You know, it's, it's a joke online that, you know, My dad went out for milk and never came back. But the reality of the matter is many fathers leave their families and never come back. And they think that's the best choice that they could have made. Or maybe it's a job. And maybe God has you in that job for a reason. But because, you know, the world, when when they're not being treated right, what do they do? Well, I'm out. See you guys later. Have fun. Watch the place burn while... 
I go and, and leave, head out. And I'm not saying there aren't times to leave, specifically jobs and things, not necessarily family. But oftentimes, because of the way our culture and the world influences us, we are so, more prone, so much more prone to leave something or somewhere when God has us there and he's training us, he's working out the, the issues that we have. What about, well, I'm going to give the boss a piece of my mind on Monday. He made us work that extra six hours on Saturday. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Or that coworker that's been bothering me and bugging me. I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. What about this one? If you have low pay, you're having, pro- I mean, things are hard out there right now. Well, I'm just going to work more hours. But then your kids don't see you. Your church family doesn't see you. You're so busy that, yes, you might have a little bit more money, but now all these other things God has given you to take care of your family, um, serving in your local church, those aren't as important. That's a worldly solution to a problem, a legitimate problem. Here's one that I have to nuance a little bit because we are in a military town, but what about relocating? And again, I'm not talking as much about military. You guys are oftentimes forced to go somewhere. But what about those of us that we've never been in the military and we've had to choose to relocate? And how often have I heard people go back and say, you know, the the pay is so much better. It's such a beautiful place to live there. The things the world's looking for, destination, pay, these things. And in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong. But, you know, do we take time to consider, okay, is there a church where I'm going, where I'm thinking about going, a good church, Bible-believing church that preaches the word, that worships God, the true God? Because as a parent or as an individual, you have the responsibility of spiritual leadership in your home. And so often, that's the last thought. And I'm thankful to be in a church that, yes, we have people that have to leave because of military and that kind of stuff and other things, but we also have many people that have moved here and stayed specifically because of the church, because of they found their church, the church that God wants them at, and rather than leaving, they stayed. You see, Psalm 20, verse 7 one of the issues the elders had was protection. This verse says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord, the Lord our God. You see, they were worried, well, what if these other nations attack? Who's going to defend us? We want a king and an army to defend us. Sometimes we look at our lives and we don't have an enemy at the door, so to speak. We don't have the Philistines trying to take our land. But we look at what's going on in the world and we we say, well, you know, if I just get, I mean, a a new security system in my house and, and we look at all these things and we allow fear to drive us to make decisions to go after worldly solutions when that's not what God has for us. You see, according to the Bible in Deuteronomy 14 verse 2, This is spoken about the Israelites, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. 
And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all nations that are upon the earth. You see, they weren't supposed to be like the other nations. They weren't supposed to seek out worldly solution like we so often do. Yet they did. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter writes and says, But ye, speaking to Christians, but ye are a chosen generation. Not that we replace Israel, not at all, but this is spoken to believers. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, the request for a king was not Israel's greatest sin. According to Warren Wearsby, it was their insisting that God give them a king immediately. When we insist something immediately from God, it may be that we are trying to have a worldly solution. We are trading our gold for gravel. We're trading that good, perfect will of God for the permissive will of God. It was their insisting that God give them a king immediately. The Lord had a king in mind for them, David, the son of Jesse, but the time wasn't ripe ripe for him to appear. So the Lord gave them their request by appointing Saul to be king, and he used Saul to chasten the nation and prepare them for David, the man of his choice. Hosea 13 verse 11 says, I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. If you want to know some of the greatest judgment that God can give us, it's letting us have our own way. Why? Because outside of him, our desires, the, the desires we have in our heart, the, our minds, we are still corrupted by sin. And what we think might be the best might not be the best. See, as a parent, I don't let my children eat ice cream for dinner every night, or for breakfast for that matter, or for lunch. They don't eat a lot of ice cream. (laughs) But see, the purpose for that is not to keep something good from them. No, it's because I know if they're eating oatmeal or eating uh, Levi Loves Bananas, and he's eating banana for breakfast, that's going to set him up for the rest of the day to have a better day than if he starts with ice cream and then the initial crash. You see, God, God sees, God is playing chess, not that he's playing, but if you want to put it this way, God is looking at this as chess where we look at it as checkers. God is looking and seeing what's happening afar off while we're focused on the here and now. God sees the the completed puzzle, so to speak, while we're still putting the pieces in. And that's why one of the greatest judgments we can have while we're alive is having our own way. Seeking our own solutions to our problems rather than going to God. Psalm 106 verse 15 says, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Sometimes when we face a real problem in our life and we have to discern the will of God, oftentimes that first response that we have, that first solution we come up with, we should be very careful not just to, not just to jump into that and take that and run with it. Why? Because we see also the Israelites made another problem other than just having this worldly solution. We see that they dismissed the counsel of God. There was a real problem 
There was a worldly solution, and there's a dismissal of counsel in verse 10. Uh, let's jump back to 6. Sorry, we're going to start in verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. You see, this is the contrast. The man of God, this upset him. Rightfully so. It's good that we are upset about the things of God, the things that when God is sinned against. Give us a, oh, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And so he prayed. He sought the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. See, it's very important that we understand when we give away the perfect will of God, when we get rid of that gold and go after the permissive will of God, we're not rejecting his plan necessarily. We're not rejecting, well, you know, God, I don't really want to do this thing. I'd rather do that. We are rejecting God himself. Verse 7, for they have rejected thee, they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day. How soon do we forget the things that God has done for us? Like the Israelites, I think it's far too quickly. Wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. God says, give them what they want. That's fine. I will allow them to have what they're asking for. However, warn them. You know, a lot of times we look at the, the will of God, and, and there are Christians that they'll say, oh, you know, I tried to find the will of God, and I ended up over here. Yet, we don't have Samuel here today to prophesy over us. The last time he was around, he was brought by the witch of Endor, which is not Star Wars. It's in Star Wars, but it's not the same thing. And he was brought, God allowed him to be called from heaven or Abraham's bosom, and he talks to Saul in that instance. The king of Israel going to a witch to talk to a dead prophet. Sounds good, right? No. But Samuel's not here for us today, but we have the completed canon of Scripture. You want to know what it's going to be like to make some of these mistakes, to, to choose the wrong path. Look at King Saul and his disobedience to God over and over. Look at King David. I mean, he was by no means a perfect man. S sends his friend to die so he can steal his wife. Look at his son, Solomon. Thousands of wives. Wisest man, probably one of the richest men in the world. And yet, he still dismissed counsel. He still chose to go after the permissive will of God rather than the perfect will of God. And we say, well, God didn't tell me this could happen. Well, did you, did you look for an example of someone else who did something similar? Did you look for a principle did you seek God in his word while trying to figure out the will of God? Or did we go to, our, to social media? Hey, let's put out a poll. Do you guys think I should do this or this? Nothing wrong with polls. But if we're just asking man for something that is that much more serious, 
we're not going to get the answers we, we truly want. We might get the answer we want to hear, but not the one we need to hear. You see, this dismissal of counsel, God told them exactly. Look at verse 10. God told them exactly what was going to happen. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. They'd have their children taken. They're young men, they're young women. Verse 12, and he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. They would become servants to this king. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your oliveyards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your manservants and your maidservants and your God goodliest young men and your asses and, he, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. You see, they'd have to give up their best lands, their best vineyards, their best farms. They'd be taxed a tenth of all their harvest. And that's on top of giving to the priests because the priests didn't have a land of their own. The Levites did not have in a territory of their own because God was in their inheritance. God provided for them. And so not only would you be giving to God, you're also giving to this king. But probably the worst punishment that was going to come from this. And maybe you're in a spot in your life where you've followed some worldly solutions to your problems. And you're wondering, why, why aren't things changing? What is going on? Well, look at verse 17, or 18. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Sometimes when God gives us what we deserve or what we're asking for, sometimes we can't just call on him. Oftentimes we can't just call on him and say, can you fix this? God is not just some magic eraser in the sky. He gives us a free choice, a free will, and we have the responsibility to seek him in that. Yes, sometimes God takes away consequences. Yes, sometimes God fixes things. However, oftentimes the way he works is he allows us to make our choices and the natural consequences that come because of the fall, because of sin, naturally happen. If we dismiss counsel, Samuel told them exactly what God had said, but if we dismiss counsel, we will always fall into trading gold for gravel. Why? Because Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, very familiar passage, but one that is worth reading again. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, or the solutions that it may have, or writing off of people that believe in God or that teach the Bible because they must be nuts. That's how the world looks at it. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? 
Spend time in God's word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time around other believers that have a heart and a, a love for God. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And listen to this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our first response might not be the right response. It might be a worldly response because maybe we haven't renewed our mind. Maybe we haven't spent time seeing it God's way. You see, choosing temporal comfort or pleasure instead of seeking God and his plan will always come with a price. The nation of Israel, for them, that led to 41 kings over a 450-year uh, time period. Of those 41 kings, only 11 kings followed God at all. And seven of those kings forgot God at the end of their reigns. You see, oftentimes we, we see problems and we say, okay, well, this could help this solution. And oftentimes it just brings more and more despair. Israel would learn that a human leader was not the complete answer to their problems. Only God, their true leader, and as Christians, God is the one that we serve and follow after, and he is our true leader, and faith in him could bring the change they sought. There's another uh, account in the scripture in Exodus that shows us someone who took godly counsel and how it helped him and probably even prolonged his ministry when Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to him and says, hey, you're doing too much work. You're going to burn yourself out. And then who's going to judge these people? Who's going to help take care of these people that God has given you to take care of? And he heeds his father-in-law's advice. He seeks God and he says, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to put these people in place so that I'm not dealing with, he, he looked at my wife wrong or he looked at, he pushed me. No, he was supposed to deal with the big stuff. That was what Moses was supposed to do. And so he listened to Jethro, and because of that, he had a prolonged ministry. You see, we cannot dismiss counsel, even if the counsel we think sounds bad. Okay? Someone gives you counsel on maybe, hey, this might be the will of God. Go to the scripture. Find out if that is good counsel or not. You have the Holy Spirit within you if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit can help you discern and guide, but so often we are just so focused on our solution, and because I came up with it, it has to be the right way. It must be. I'm a smart person, says every fool. And sometimes the first response, the first reaction to a problem might be the correct answer, might be the correct solution. But, you know, it's an encouraging in the mornings in the men's group that every morning I see the, the, the verse put out to all the guys, and it's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You want God to direct your paths. You want God to show you his perfect will. When problems come, do not seek a worldly solution to a problem that is much greater than just world, the world around you. 
Seek God, trust in him, acknowledge him, let him direct your paths. I want to come back to Ali Hafed. And the man who purchased Ali Hafed's farm one day led his camel into the garden to drink. If you remember, he sold his farm and all his cattle, all his camels, all those things. And so this man, he leads this camel into the garden to get a drink. And as that camel put its nose into the shallow water of that garden brook, Ali Hafed's successor noticed a curious flash of light from the white sands of the stream. He pulled out a black stone having an eye of light reflecting all the hues of the rainbow. He took the pebble into the house and put it on the mantle, which covers the central fires, and forgot all about it. A few days later, the, the old priest came in to visit Ali Hafed's successor, and the, op- and the moment he opened the drawing room door, he saw a flash of light on the mantle, and he rushed up to it and shouted, Here is a diamond! Has Ali Hafed returned? Oh no, Ali Hafed has not returned, and that is not a diamond. That is nothing but a stone we found right out here in our own garden. But, said the priest, I tell you, I know a diamond when I see it. I know positively this is a diamond. Then together they rushed out into the old garden and stirred up the white sand with their fingers, and lo, there came other more beautiful and valuable gems than the first. Thus, said the guide to me, was discovered the diamond mind of Golconda, the most magnificent diamond mind in all history of mankind, excelling the Kimberley itself, the Kohenor and the Orloff of the crown jewels of England and Russia, the largest on earth, came from that mine. You see, so often we're chasing treasures and things that we think are going to bring us happiness. And oftentimes we trade our gold. You know, he not only had apparently diamonds in his sand, he had many, many things. We as Christians, especially in the nation of America, we are very blessed. But with that blessing, we are also faced with discontentment and and wondering, well, is this where I'm supposed to be? I'm, I'm bored here. I feel like I've done all I can do for God here. Maybe it's time for me to move on. And we trade the the glory of God, that fellowship with God, for something we think is going to bring us happiness. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, just the message that you've laid on my heart. And Lord, this is something that all, as humans, we all face and all struggle with, is seeking you when we have problems, when there's issues in our lives. I pray that you would help us to be people, a church that would, would truly just seek after you, that we would not re- react when things arise, but that we would respond, that we would seek godly counsel, and that we would live for you. Lord, I thank you and praise you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. That's all.